This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey, what's up? Everything is up, but we'll get to that after the interview that I was so excited about last week, and I'm still excited about, because we have Sarah Gatos and Mike Johnson on the other end of the transporter, and they're going to join us and tell us about writing comics, planning comics... Uh, what's what's canon and it's it's incredible i can't wait for y'all to hear it yeah it's really great um sarah is the editor of star trek ongoing the comic book series and mike is the writer of star trek ongoing and uh since we've talked about their work uh for the entire length of time that we've been doing this show 104 episodes now we've been talking about you know we, we've gone through the entire uh ongoing series and compared the adaptations of episodes to their TOS counterparts. And it's been really interesting, you know, both in terms of uh, looking at what they're doing on the comic and also sort of reevaluating what the shows are even, you know, and, and seeing the shows in a new light and everything. And, you know, looking at the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been fascinated by the idea of adaptation. I think that that's really interesting. And, you know, here we see it, you know, in action. And, and what is it that makes the JJ-verse different from the Prime Universe and all that good stuff? And, you know, it seems like the listeners have, have responded well to that series, and we caught up with where they're at in the comics, finally. And we thought, you know what? Let's see if uh, our analysis was completely off base let's actually let's just ask them we should have just done this at the beginning right i mean it (laughs) would have saved us a bunch of work we just been like tell us what you did but no so uh you know we we have them coming on to uh tell us what they did hey and it's fascinating so without further ado well it's great to have you guys uh I, I I can't believe it. I mean, this is I'm super excited that we were able to to get you guys. We've been reading the uh, the comics, uh, doing like a breakdown, comparing uh, specifically the ones that you guys did where uh, you do an episode of the series and and do the retelling, and we try to figure out what you guys were thinking. And now you're here, and I'm all I'm a nervous wreck. I'm just like I, I don't have to pretend to figure out what you guys were thinking because you're right here. Well, before we get started, okay, Mike, you've been um, writing since issue number one, correct? That's right. Or yep. even, even before that, with with Countdown, you know, uh, a couple of years before that. And and Sarah, you came on around issue number 25? Mm-hmm. I've been here about two years. So that would be like right after Into Darkness, somewhere around that, mm-hmm. around that time. Um, now, Sarah, I'm sure 
you've been asked this question a million times in the past, but just for people who don't know, like what exactly does an editor on a comic book do? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think everyone assumes that we do copy editing and proofreading, which of course we do do. But I think of myself as kind of being the director producer of the book, if you want to compare it to the movies. So I do um, all the hiring of the writers and the artists. I help develop the storylines and then I project manage the book all the way through to completion um, during the art and the lettering and the coloring and you name it. And then since obviously IDW who I work for does not own Star Trek, um, I work with the licensors to gain their approval um, of the material um, all the way through from the very tiniest bit of a plot to the final two printer files. So to put it in like Star Trek terms, if Mike is the Branham Braga, you're the Rick Berman, would that be an accurate description? <laughs> oh, I hope that's so. Not, that's not too far off. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so how far in advance do you guys plot things out? Like, I mean, you know, comics are like a monthly thing, but, you know, with these multi-arcs and everything, I, I'm I'm curious how far in advance you you have things mapped out and whether or not that's a challenge being part of, you know, like a licensed property like this? Yeah. Yeah. I think the quick answer is I map things out as far ahead as I can give Mike or make Mike give me answers on things. (laughs) Yeah. We try to, we sort of um, talk about sort of nine months to a year in the broadest sense. And then um, I sort of go in and map out exactly how the stories would break, would break out in terms of number of issues. And then, in the actual writing, um, I am working on issue 55 today, actually. So uh, it's a few months in advance, obviously, for the production cycle. And so the artists and the colorists and everybody has time to uh, to work. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it sort of goes a year in the biggest sense and then breaking it down from there. I just sent 52 to the printer uh, last week. And then in the, the biggest, well, solicitations is the diamond way that um, comics are sold to retailers. So for the ad copy for that, we're working, I think, on number 55 right now. So I would get further ahead if I could, but it's, it's hard. Um, we've definitely been talking about 2016 a whole bunch, obviously, because it's the 50th anniversary. Um, and we really want to make the year special. So um, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up, some of which has been announced and we can talk about, some of which I will have to keep mysterious for the time. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, well, going, going back to the beginning of, of Ongoing, uh, there, there was a bit of a gap between Countdown and, and, and the, uh, the first movie, and then you know, Ongoing came out, you know, what, like probably about a year before Into Darkness, somewhere in that area. So I... I I'm guessing that you had a good idea of what Into Darkness was going to be, and you kind of knew how to structure the comics leading up to that. Um, and then that that changed, obviously, post um, Into Darkness. I, how did that change for you guys in terms of your, your process and all that stuff? I was still working for... Uh, Kurtzman and Orsi, uh, the writers and producers of the of the new movies, um, up till uh, shortly before the ongoing comic series started, and I, I left to write 
full time. Um, but Into Darkness, the movie had been in development while I was at the company. So I had sort of the background um, of what was going to happen. And um, we kind of knew once we knew we were going to have an ongoing, we knew we wanted to uh, start seeding things into the ongoing. And in fact, on the first page of the first issue of the ongoing series, Scotty's working on the uh, working in engineering and he's, he's talking to himself saying um, it, it feels like it's Starfleet's frustrating him. They're not being as responsive to what he needs. And he's wondering what's going on with Starfleet. And that was a very subtle way of indicating that um, Marcus was up to his shenanigans that we would see uh, the full brunt of and into darkness and the idea that Starfleet was getting away from its priorities um, as an exploratory and humanitarian armada, as Spike says, as, as Pike says in the, in the 2009 movie and, and uh, becoming more militaristic. So even, even back then with the, the first page of the first issue, um, we tried to lay in things uh, because we knew that I think it was, maybe 15 months after the first issue of the ongoing is when into darkness came out. And then um, we knew also that there were going to be some, some, um, some trouble in the, in the Spock or her relationship. So we started to lay that in. Um, you see that most clearly in the Galileo seven story that we did in the ongoing where Uhura is starting to wonder about Spock's, uh, where his head is at and the idea that he's taking risks, which we see um, in the beginning of Into Darkness, the movie, when Spock is uh, ready to give up his life in the volcano, um, really to save the prime directive from being violated. So uh, we had the advantage there of, of knowing what was going to come and then knowing that we had uh, kind of a, a an open door to news stories after Into Darkness because it doesn't end really on a pure cliffhanger. Obviously, Khan is is back in the refrigerator at the end, but um, we knew that you know the crew rockets off to new adventures, so we were able to run with that when Sarah came on and create brand new stories. And then I, I I'm wondering like was it hard for you? I mean I because I know that 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 bad robot is was very sort of like protective of the expanded universe in terms of the jj verse like i remember there was like a thing where some books got canceled and stuff like that um because they were you know wanting to to sort of keep everything in sort of like a, a working continuity were there things like going forward where you you were told like i'm not asking what the specific things were but were there things where you you were told going forward like don't do this or you can, you can do this thing over here, but just steer clear of, of this, you know, until mm -hmm. we figure out what we're doing in Star Trek 13. Yeah. It, it's really hard um, with all licensed comics. And I've done a lot of licensed comics because you want to respect the work that other people are doing and putting so much of themselves into. But at the same time, um, we also want to stay really vibrant and relevant and in continuity. And really the only way that we're able to do that is because of the personal relationships that Mike has. And then through the support of our licensors, um, Lisa Kessler and John Van Sitters, who are just 
the best people that anyone could have on your side, um, looking out for us and going to bat for us and answering the most obscure track questions we could ever possibly have and giving us reference. Um, so, you know, there's always stuff that we wish we could do, but we can't. And, you know, um, we definitely have to be cognizant of everyone's place in the overall Trek universe, but all things considered, we're very, very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it shows on the page. I mean, I, it, one of the things that I think a lot of people respond to is how it, it does fit so well with what you're seeing on screen. And it really mm-hmm. sort of brings this cohesiveness, which is really, really cool. So, so going, going back to uh, those first few comics, there were a lot of adaptations which were done early on. And, and since those were the, the things that we, we've looked at on, on this show primarily, um, I, I'm I'm curious if that was uh, by design, or I mean, I guess it was by design since there were so many. But what was the uh, the thought process behind doing adaptations uh, over original stories for those first few um, issues? Well, talking with uh, with Bob Orsi, who was really the the godfather um, of the comics, um, was uh, we loved the idea of of sort of the butterfly flaps its wings analogy where um there are simple changes at first and then uh so if you think of the butterfly flapping its wings as revisiting an original episode and showing slight differences those differences would get bigger and bigger until you get the hurricane which is new stories uh completely new and we also just love the idea of taking the opportunity and not being shy or afraid about um, revisiting old episodes and honoring them and, and, and showing how much we love them, taking advantage of the fact that we're in a new timeline and playing with, well, how would those things change? So Gary Mitchell was uh, the first one we chose because we could show uh, the interpersonal things um, that were slightly different in terms of curse relationships with them. And then um showing how things might might change but that in that issue i actually used a lot of dialogue from the original episode and did that less and less as we went on but the idea was for that first year let's take a few episodes that we liked that weren't they weren't super classic episodes so we didn't want to go you know doing things like space seed for example obviously because we knew con was coming up but even something like city on the edge or um you know really sort of like the, the the sort of top 10 let's pick good episodes that we thought one wouldn't tread on anything that might come up in the movies, but two had some room to show how things would be different in the new timeline. And then we always knew starting from issue one, we knew that eventually we would ease off doing adaptations. I would still like to, to do more, but I think now they would be dramatically different from what came before. And we're still doing them a bit. Um, we just did a, what was it, two-issue interpretation of Tholian Webs. Um, so it is it is something really fun to, to dip our toe in. But I think Mike's point that you get, it's a really nice way for people to come to know the alternate universe characters a little bit because you have the familiar, comfortable surroundings of a um, something that you know and love from the original series kind of as the entree to exploring these characters even more. And that's something that Mike and the original editor of the book, Scott Junebeer, did a killer job of. And I love that they started with those. 
Yeah, like the the recent Tholian Webs one was interesting too because it it really was sort of um like you were saying kind of a looser adaptation and it, it was almost like a kind of what if, you know, the crew ran into this problem at this specific time and how would that be a different story? And that's that's really fascinating. Um one of the I guess it was your first uh, original story which was uh, Vulcan's Vengeance. We actually did a, a comparison on on this show to that and and Balance of Terror. You know, our sort of like hypothesis was like, well, you can't do Balance of Terror in the new continuity. It's it's a different it's a different you know timeline, and that that story wouldn't fit. But exactly, this, this is kind of like the Balance of Terror of the new timeline. Is that us just reading too much into it, or was that intentional? Not at all. That was it's great to hear you say that because that was that was sort of our balance of terror. Exactly as you said, you can't do balance of terror in the new timeline, the way things have shaken out. But what you can do is play on this, the, the same similar tensions that arise out of what's essentially a clash of empires. And then we had the opportunity to inject that with a story that was purely um, new timeline related. In other words, the idea that there would be some a, a group of Vulcans that would logically conclude that the appropriate response to Vulcan's destruction would be to destroy the Romulan Empire to prevent um, the death of all the remaining Vulcans. So that was a great opportunity to introduce the Romulan Empire, not Nero's people, but the existing Romulan Empire of the new timeline, while at the same time invoking the spirit of the original episode without actually retelling it. So. Okay, well, probably the the issue or or the story that was most um changed from the original continuity was Return of the Archons and I know Drew as someone who uses the nickname Landrew um was uh very interested in <laughs> in the change because it does seem to be one which it was a change which wouldn't have necessarily been affected by this new timeline and I know that Drew is is wondering about uh what was involved with with the decision to go that route? I I, I have the theory that, uh, and I've been going off it. I've said it for. I mean, we've we've talked about JJ Verse a lot on this original series podcast, to the <laughs> to the detriment of our listeners, but they they deal with it. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> but like, I I have the theory based on the Return of the Archons that the timeline had to have shifted before Nero. There has to be more changes before that point because we've got the uh Landrew being a a, a supercomputer made by a Federation scientist. And I love the story. It it, oh, it it just I I just had the question about like how did it become a from a three thousand year old alien to a hundred year old uh Federation doctor. Yeah, so that was an opportunity. That was one where you 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 um you hit the nail on the head where there's two schools of thought about the timelines. One is that everything was exactly, 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 exactly the same down to the smallest detail until the Narada came through. And the other, which is the one I subscribe to is that they are alternate timelines in ways that were different before the Narada came through, but they are sufficiently close that if you think of sort of infinite parallel timelines, like strings on a harp, these two strings are, are next to each other, but by definition, they're not completely identical for the simple fact that 
Chris Pine doesn't look like William Shatner. If you really want to get scientific and technical about it, which Star Trek is, that that they are, however, so close that the characters' personalities, the adventures that they're going to have, most of, the majority of the histories of both timelines are exactly the same. But in the, in the, I love the quantum theory, quantum theory and the idea of infinite realities that this, that there's a universe for every decision you make. Did you get a mocha or a latte this morning? You know, did you get your car washed today or did you put it off till next week? That there's a reality for all of those. And that the two track timelines that we have now are so, so, so close, but they're, but they're not identical even before the neurotic came through. And you could even, you could even um, put forward the idea that the neurotic coming through actually has um, made it more likely, um, made it more likely that the Enterprise crew would come together in this alternate timeline than it would have otherwise. So it's, I, I, it's one of those things where I don't like to say, no, no, this is the answer. I think everybody, like you guys do, which is fantastic, you hypothesize for yourself. I think that's a sign of a vibrant, interesting franchise on the whole. Um, but from my point of view, it was a very long-winded way of answering your question. It was, um, I felt like, and talking to Bob as well, like we had the opportunity to um, take, tweak the stories in a certain way that made them really interesting and different, um, even if that meant that maybe things didn't happen exactly as they did in the original. Hope that makes sense. Oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. I I'm really excited because now that's canon because you're writing the <laughs> comics. The comics are canon. That's right. So that's right. uh, I'll, I'll start publishing that around. I'll put it on uh, Memory yeah. Alpha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Full blast. Uh, they say they say only what's on film is canon, but I like to say that uh, I only write in canon. I don't write out of canon. Every I letter I write. <laughs> Every email he sends me is now in canon. He's canon. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, that's actually a scary thought, but yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, that line of thinking. That makes sense to me. Oh, phew. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, you've talked about how uh, you were sort of getting away from the the adaptations post-movie, post Into Darkness, and now we see a few coming back. There's Tholian Webs and, you know, the, the Mirror Universe story, which is coming in. Um, is there a, a particular reason why you guys have decided to sort of, I, I wouldn't say shift gears, but, you know, sort of dip your toes back into that sort of uh, um, thing? I think fans definitely enjoy it, and I think Mike has a lot of fun writing it. Um, yeah. Kind of like the, the way that we're going with the mirror one where it's kind of a combination of, of both. We consider ourselves still on the, the five-year mission and I really do want to keep pushing forward uh, into that because I just love the possibilities and I love the idea that we're, we're kind of being the TV show while there hasn't been a TV show. Um, so I don't constantly want to be looking back um, but I think Mike is is constantly finding new ways to combine the past and the, the the current state that we're in, and also looking towards the future. So I think you'll probably see more of that. That sounds very ominous and mysterious. <laughs> no, it's um, it's 
for the mirror one, we wanted to, uh, well, for Solians, I really, I always love the scene with Kirk. You know, the reason I had Bones address them with this, if I'm dead, you two need to work together scene. Um, I thought that was a cool twist on the original episode. I just loved that. And I hadn't had a lot of Bones, Spock, Kirk scenes. Um, so that, my my decision to do Tholian kind of grew out of my love for that and my want, my desire to show that in a different way. And then the mirror universe, we wanted something sort of um, attention grabbing for the 50th issue. And even though we'd done a sort of mirror universe version of the 2009 movie um, back in issues 15, 16, maybe, um, we, this is the first time they're actually meeting their mirror universe selves. And it's a totally new story. Um, but the next arc, is our Orion story. And I think it's a good match, a good example of what, what Sarah just talked about in terms of um, invoking things from the past, but showing entirely new things where we're showing, we're using the Orions and we're revisiting Gala, the Orion character we saw in the 2009 movie and her brother Kai, who is a red shirt that we've seen throughout, throughout the comics and showing how they came to be in Starfleet. We're seeing more of the Orion civilization. So it, it's a totally new story that still invokes um, the tradition of Star Trek going back to the original series with the introduction of the Orion. So that's a story I'm really eager for people to see. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. It sounds cool. Yeah. That's issue 53 and 54, I believe. Mm -hmm. All right. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Okay, so I, I, I've been wondering about this for, well, ever since it happened, but, you know, for about a year, there was a certain story which was being, you know, worked on for the new movie, and then it very suddenly changed, and I, I kept on, all I could think of is, like, how does that affect the comic? Like, did you guys have, like, a certain thing mapped out, and then all of a sudden you were like, ah, I got to put the brakes on this and we, we have so many maps and contingency <laughs> plans and, you know again um we want to show love and be respectful of, of the films and everything in development so you know you, you plan the best you can but you just have to always be on your toes but that's that's working in comics in general we're constantly shifting and you know, we might have three plan A's and then two plan B's and a plan C and then maybe we can take a little bit from here and there and we just throw it together and make it work. Um, so yeah. yeah, going back to your going back to your early question about how far out we map. Not only do we, you know, part of that process is um, contingency plans. Yeah. So it is sort of like okay, for instance, in in Into Darkness, um, for a while there, we didn't know whether we could choke on or not before. So you sort of you try to map each talk about alternate realities. You try to map out the alternate realities and then um, the actual circumstances uh, start to dictate what you can and can't do. But hopefully you have enough good ideas that uh, the end product is satisfying. And Mike always has enough good ideas, thankfully. <laughs> Boss. Aw. <laughs> hug. Super hug. <laughs> Well, speaking of, of other good ideas that, that you guys have had, um, the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover is, uh, is yeah, we're right in the middle of it. And, you know, 
I mean, like like we were talking about earlier, you know, back when this whole thing started with the JJ verse and everything, it seems like they were very, you know, protective of it and very, you know, sort of like precious about it and everything. And when I heard that they were doing or that you were doing a Green Lantern, you know, crossover in the JJ verse, I was like, what? Whoa, you know, things have have changed. I'm just wondering how hard or easy it was to get something like that off the ground. I think this might have been like right place, right time. Like if someone had told me a year ago that we'd be doing this, I would be like, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, you know, sometimes you throw out an idea and everyone's just on board and it all works. And I think not only has everything just kind of worked well in this crossover, um, it's worked really well. And I think the fan response and the sales and the, the reviews have reflected that. Um, it just seems like everything is firing on all cylinders with this due to the work that Mike's doing and um, Angel Hernandez, the um, interior artist. And it's just so much fun. And thank goodness for comics where we can do stuff like this because, you know, this would never happen on TV or in a film. But comics gives us this wonderful sandbox to play in to kind of explore these ridiculous ideas that somehow turn out perfectly. And thank God for an editor who can organize and keep that train running because it's a complicated, big, high profile train. And she just keeps the track. She just keeps everything running smoothly where I just have to worry about the story. And, you know, she gets, she finds the perfect artist and she does the monumental task of our incredible covers that we had, <laughs> the alternate covers that we, the, the huge number we had for the first edition, the ones that are still coming that, are just this crazy celebration of artists mashing these two franchises together. And it's exactly what Sarah said. It, it, it was sort of right place, right time. And I think we'd established a comfort level with the licensors. Um, and they had had, you know, IDW's had success. Um, the Tiptons and Rachel Scott did such a great job with, with Trek, uh, Planet of the Apes. And IDW had done, um, it's just great at crossovers and, and doing fun, cool, new things with comics in a way that doesn't scare off the licensors. So we had we had that behind us when we were pitching this new version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty Definitely. cool. And anytime you you not only go to the Gorn homeworld, but also have like General Chang in a story. I mean, come on. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. It's like I was like, can I do this? And every time, like, almost every time, it was yeah. There was one thing I wanted to do that I couldn't do that I, we will talk about in another okay. podcast at another time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll hold you to that. Yeah. Although that is, yeah. you know, because like <laughs> a big thing with us, we were like, they should make General Chang the villain in the new movie. And then we saw your comic and we're like, well, I guess that's not happening. <laughs> oh, maybe it is. Who knows? Oh. <laughs> well, I, well, maybe it will. Never say never. Yeah, because, yeah. because you could argue that when, when uh, Gantt came through, it split off another uh, <laughs> another timeline. There you infinite go. Time. Um, there you go. Infinite, yeah. So you never, nothing is out of the question. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you guys also have a new comic coming out uh, in the not too distant future, the Starfleet Academy book, right? Yeah, really soon. I'm so excited. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that one? Absolutely. Um, so this one is kind of um, a baby to me. It, it's. When I was growing up and watching TNG, I thought that going to Academy would be basically the coolest thing on earth, which shows you how cool I was. Um, So ever since I got here 
at IDW, this has always been kind of kicking around in the back of my head, um, that I wanted to explore the academy world, but also do it in such a way that might connect a little bit more with not little kids, but younger readers, um, teens, young adults and stuff like that. So um, I had been talking about it with Mike for a while and Mike, do you want to pick it up from there? Yeah, so it was something that we've been talking about for a while and um, uh, Sarah was a great champion for it. And just the opportunity to show a different slice of life uh, for, uh, for the Czech universe. And then Ryan Parrott, who wrote two of the best issues of, of the ongoing the backstories of uh, Uhura and the Chekhov Sulu story. Um, I asked him to, to join me. Ryan's just so full of great ideas. And I think once you read the series, uh, we can, we can, I'd be happy to come back on and, and with Ryan and, and discuss it more. But I think the best ideas in the series are, are the things that Ryan came up with. And uh, the, the opportunity also to introduce new characters in the movie universe, um, younger characters, uh, I think a more diverse set of characters. Um, has been an absolute blast. So uh, we just can't wait, can't wait for people to see it. Yeah, and it's, it's done um, in a really different art style than the ongoing series as well. Um, I think it kind of harkens back a little bit to the animated series. Um, the artist by Derek Charm, who I've worked with a whole bunch on Powerpuff Girls and a lot of Disney covers. He's incredibly talented and loves the Trek universe so much. Um, so basically the story is split between two separate timelines, the first of which being um, what, like right before the 2009 movie, um, focusing kind of on a mystery that Uhura uh, uncovers. And then the second timeline is um, a couple of years later and a completely new cast of cadets in the Academy. Um, and they kind of discover this, this mystery that Uhura basically had to leave behind um and so it's it's the adventure of, of them uncovering the mystery but also showing what it's like to be a cadet then and kind of coming into their own um to hopefully become the next big heroic you know science officers and captains of the future yeah it it sounds super cool and and i mean the art does look fantastic i i, I love that style okay. yeah yeah I, I can't wait to read it and that's going to be a mini series and as long oh. as long as we're talking about uh we're remiss and not talking about the art uh on the ongoing series we've had just an oh, incredible array of array of uh artists starting with Stephen molnar with the first issue which was so important to have an artist who could deliver the highest quality you'd want um and then for the last over a year, I've been so lucky to have Tony Chastain as my partner um, on the book. It's just so, uh, it's such an incredible feeling to know that anything you write is going to look better than you imagined it on the page. And the thing about these license books is you need to have somebody who can draw the likenesses of the of the characters, of the actors, but can also draw those likenesses in different situations that there's no photo reference for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm putting, I'm putting this cast in all sorts of weird situations and locations and Tony just nails it every time. And not only that, but builds out background. I don't know if you guys remember the Eurydice story we did um, where, where they go to this place called the dark market, which is sort of the evil sinister capitalist, uh, center of the of the 
of the new universe. And um, Tony just populated it with all these crazy aliens and incredible, just the detail of the buildings and textures. Um, he's, he's the industrial light and magic of this book. And it's a, it's, we're just so lucky. And again, you know, Sarah has done an incredible job of finding the right artists um, who can, who can just knock it out of the park on Hell Hernandez on Green Lantern is an, is a perfect example where we on Trek Lantern, you needed somebody who not only could do the likenesses of characters, but combine them in a, in a, in a way that made sense with these crazy superhero characters and on Hell just nailed it. Like it doesn't feel too jarring that these two universes would be together. So I'll hail the artists that make the writers look good. And don't forget they have to do it on an incredibly tight schedule, you know, yeah, the page day, if not more. So we're very, very lucky. Um, the Star Trek artists have incredibly high demands put on them by the licensors, and um, they knock it out of the park every time. I'm a very lucky editor. Yeah, yeah, for sure, they're great. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if there's anything else you can tell us about uh, your upcoming plans or whatever, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, we talked a little bit at New York Comic Con about Spock's uh, legacy. Do you want to talk? just briefly about that mike yeah so um starting in issue 55 uh in the four issues leading up it'll it'll probably hit around the um the time the movie uh, it'll end the time the movie comes out we're we're doing this story uh we're calling the legacy of spock which is um a story focusing on nimoy's spock uh as we've come to know call him spock prime and his journey um, in the new universe that we haven't seen either in the movies or the comics. Uh, it picks up the opening scene of, of the, of the story is, is the scene where he meets his younger version where Nimoy meets Quinto at the end of the 2009 movie. And then we follow Nimoy away from that scene and where he goes, uh, as he embarks on, um, the quest to find a new homeworld for the Vulcans and all of the, the complications that ensue essentially because there's a lot of um a lot of things to consider uh like where that home world should be definitely the surviving vulcans don't all agree on everything there are other factions in the galaxy that um are both pro and con that's c-o-n not k-h-a-n <laughs> pro and con a new vulcan homeworld. so it's a really uh juicy story that ultimately is a celebration and reflection of of Nimoy's Spock, and that's four issues, uh, a four issue uh, story that runs in the ongoing. With, with art by Tony Shastine again, thankfully. So much like Hugh Gambit before, this is going to be kind of our big arc of uh, for the rest of the year. Actually, next year. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, you'll see. You'll. It's um, written in in Spock, older Spock's voice. So you're really seeing his perspective on, wow, I, where I came from, he would never say, wow, <laughs> <laughs> where he came from and thinking back on his life. Um, and then in the context of coming to this new timeline, the effects of Nero's um, arrival and his own arrival. And so sort of his reactions and his thoughts about, about what has happened. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and yeah. I hope fans uh, 
really like it. That sounds like a perfect for the for the 50th anniversary, perfect like lead up to the new movie and everything. Yeah, I, I can't wait. That sounds awesome. Oh, great. Yeah. It's great to hear. Well, well, thank you very much uh, for joining us today, uh, both of you. I mean, it's been yeah, you bet. Re- really, really interesting and informative and, and everything. And uh, it's it's kind of nice to, to cap off this, this series that we've been doing by actually talking to the people who made it and telling us that we, well, that I guess that we actually got some of it right. So, yeah. That, so yeah, thank we, you very we each much. each got one right. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you for your... For, for reading and and appreciating and and discussing them and and it's the fandom going all the way back to the original series that is the heartbeat of the franchise and that has kept it going through all its incarnations. So thank you for everything you've done. Absolutely, I, and um, we just passed issue number fifty. And you know, if you're a big comic reader, you know that not many series make it to issue number fifties anymore. Um, and the only way that we're able to do that is through the support of the fans. So we're incredibly thankful. Oh, no, it's our pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I, I know you guys got to go, but, uh, you know, thanks again. And, uh, yeah, we, we hope to talk to you again soon. You bet. Absolutely. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. Thanks. See ya. Well, that was really great talking to those guys. Uh, they're such a great team. Um, I'm excited that they're excited that we're excited as fans about the franchise and the future of it. And it sounds like they got a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you read it, but the, the series that they did or the, the, the two part that they did right after the Tholian webs was, uh, Mm-mm. deity. And that's the one where, uh, Kirk is like, Hey, Sulu, uh, you know what? Y- you're going to be a really good captain someday. Uh, so, but you need, you need some practice. So I'm going to send you down to this planet to lead this away team mission where you're going to, um, uh, you know, check out these, these, uh, bird people and, and see what they're, what they're up to. And Sulu's like, oh my God, he like, he thinks that I can be a commander. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) commander. Or how about captain, captain Sulu? Coming to you on CBS All Access, January 2017. No? Oh. So, yes, in case you missed it, uh, the day that we're recording, which is, uh, what is today? Monday, November 2nd, uh, CBS and Star Trek announced that there will be a new Star Trek series. The pilot will show on CBS January 2017. And then the rest of the episodes will be available exclusively on CBS All Access, which, for those who don't know what that is, is the app that they created because they didn't want to give any money to Hulu. Oh, is that what it was, Hulu? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, th- th- the thing is that all the other networks are playing. This is my problem. And I was just complaining about CBS All Access the other day. Everybody else is just fine with sharing money with Hulu. It's a conglomerate of different networks and movie studios all together, you know, holding hands and being kind. And then there's CBS being like, you want to watch Supergirl? Come here and give me some money. No, no, I'll watch commercials. I'll gladly watch commercials, you know, over here, you know, or pay extra to not have commercials on Hulu. No, no, no. You got to give me six bucks a month if you want our Supergirl. I'm like, but I don't want to pay six dollars a month. But 
I mean, at the same time, don't you get a lot more stuff? Like, they've got all of Star Trek on there. They've got... Yeah, uh, all of Star Trek, because I need a fourth place okay, to watch okay. all of Star Trek. Okay, okay, fine. Star Trek maybe is a bad example, but, I mean, what, do they have, like, Mission Impossible, I'm assuming? Uh, they've got... And, and also, I'm assuming that they've got, like, the entire run of Supergirl, not just, like, the last four episodes or something, right? Right. They do have... There are some nice stuff, like, like Cole... Uh, like Colbert's late night and all that kind of stuff. They have like the most five most recent episodes uh, available for free. I was just upset that Supergirl was behind the paywall. I'm like, you don't want me to let me watch the first episode, but you could download the pilot off of iTunes for free. Oh yeah. Forgot about that. (laughs) I, you know, Hey, here's my thinking, right? Um, $6 a month for CBS all access, right? That's a dollar fifty an episode. It's like I just went to uh, the Landmark Century to watch Beasts of No Nation, which, by the way, is streaming on Netflix because I wanted to see that in the theater, and I paid ten bucks to see that movie. You know, I am more than willing to pay a dollar <laughs> fifty an episode for new freaking Star Trek. Are you no, no, no. crazy? Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. I'm not not going to sign up for All Access as soon as January turns okay. around. All right. But I'm not keeping it afterward. Uh, see, I mean, I don't know. I guess it'll depend. And I, mean, I guess I that's, what, $18? 18 maybe $24 that they didn't have I, I before? Did, I did so the math today it's... because it was very strange the way that the news sort of broke, which is like, there's new Star Trek coming on. And everyone's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Wait, you want me to pay $6 a month? And I'm like, no, really? I don't have a that's problem with thing? that because I don't have TV. If it was on CBS normally... This yeah. is actually more convenient for me. Right. No, it actually works out really well for me because my parents don't have uh, cable in their basement, and their basement is where I have my, my video projector with my you know 90-inch, <laughs> 92-inch screen. So this way I can bring, or I can just hook up their Apple TV, stream it, and watch it on the big screen without Ooh. any commercials, you know, every week. And also, okay, here's here's the other thing, right? Because there were a lot of people who were complaining about this, and they're like, I'm not going to spend that money. There were a lot of people who said, like, flat out, I'm not going to spend that money. And I'm like, I did the math. Okay, let's say, let's say it's six months. Let's say they do 26 episodes or whatever, which I know mm-hmm. they won't. But let's just say it's six months. So that's 36 bucks. Um if you calculate how much time we have between now and when this show comes on the air, if you put aside, start saving people, if you put aside nine cents a day, then you will have enough money to watch Star Trek in January of 2017. <laughs> or you could go the cheap route and wait until they're all available and just do one month of $6 and binge watch it. And if you do that, then you only need to save two cents a day <laughs> if you're on a budget. You you just saved a hundred people's lives. I know that a lot of people are, you know, protesting this because of the the principle, which I can no, totally and, understand. And that's that's silly. That's like people complaining. I mean, like, ooh, you know, I have to pay to get Netflix to watch Daredevil. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't that's how it I works mean, now. Look, I I don't know. I, you know, to me, I would much rather pay a dollar fifty an episode so that I don't have to 
try to make sure that I have room on my DVR or try to remember to record it on my DVR or, you know, watch commercials or fast forward through commercials or anything Mm -hmm. like that. And also, okay, here's another huge benefit as I see it, which is going to be really cool, especially maybe in terms of podcasting, but just regardless and sort of like, you know, global fan um, appreciation of this show, everyone is going to get it at the same time. There's not going to be the three-hour delay from coast to coast, and we can all watch it simultaneously, and then we can all jump on microphones and do live Talking Dead style uh, <laughs> podcast reaction podcasts at the same time, and the West Coast people don't have to feel like they're they're losing out, or the or the the people in Japan or or the UK or wherever. I don't think all access is international yet, though. That's something they have to work on, though. Well, I'm sure that I know that there are ways. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. To me, it's super exciting. And, you know, Alex Kurtzman is producing it. It doesn't look like he's writing it because he's busy doing his mummy movie and everything. And um, they say they're looking for writers now. Uh, it'd be interesting to see who they get. Mm-hmm. Very strange that Roberto Orsi isn't involved. Um, I, w- you know, because I did like when everyone was like, well, the bad robot contract is up and everything. I'm like, but CBS has this great relationship with Kurtzman and Orsi. And, you know, like I, I, think i kind of called that actually that it was going to be them you know i'm like this makes perfect sense you know i i believe i sent you a text at one point talking about how like the creator of sleepy hollow like re-upped his deal with cbs and i'm like i'm just saying if he ends up being the the head of the star trek show don't be surprised and i should keep all my tweets from you so that it's 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 there i'm just saying Uh see i told you yes you did (laughs) But, uh, you know, regardless of that, it'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting to see who they get. It'll be really interesting to see if this thing takes place in the JJ-verse. And Mm -hmm. it'll be really interesting to see if it stars John Cho and is a Star Trek Excelsior show. I mean, look. Look at the turnaround here, okay? I mean, you're coming up. I mean, they're going to be shooting this before the new movie comes out or, like, right around that time, right? I mean, we're actually probably going to get to see a chunk of this thing in Vegas, you know? They better bring out the cast they in Vegas better. and be like, here, you know? That's what they need. <laughs> See, this is what we were complaining about. Yeah. This is what, you know, CBS, if you're listening, you <laughs> don't not. go to San Diego Comic-Con. You have a Comic-Con. Yeah. I mean, go to San Diego Comic-Con, sure, but announce it at the Star Trek convention first. Or, I, I think, I, I well, I think it would be probably past the point of announcing but introducing these people i mean and and they could totally do it and i think that they would be more likely to do that than they would with the new movie since it's their thing you know mm-hmm. and uh, i'm super excited i'm i'm I, I really hope that they do it they, they've gotta they've gotta you know yeah they have oh, to and getting tickets for this thing is going to be even harder now isn't it oh God. yeah because they'd show it at the 50th wouldn't they <sighs> I'm not even going to try. I'm just right here. I'm just going to stay right here. I got my hotel room, but the ticket is going to be the thing, you know? <laughs> Oof, it's going to be tough. Anyway. You get a press pass. You'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Commentary track stars coming cre- through. Huh, creation huh. gives those away like candy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
um yeah no it'll be it'll be really uh interesting and cool to see i can't wait it's new trek and it's gonna be here in 14 months it's awesome yeah i the idea of new trek like and we just said in the podcast that got released today you know like you know we'll you know star wars has stuff coming out every week and you know we we you know, Star Trek doesn't, and it you know makes us sad. And now look, now look, now look. You know, you know what I think happened? I think uh, whoever's in charge of that decision at CBS uh, is is a patron of the network, and they got to hear the early release of the episode, and they're like, "Yeah, they're right. We should do a new <laughs> Star Trek series." And then the next morning, they announced it. <laughs> so you can thank us, guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Oh, God. Okay. Well, talking about the new Star Trek series is probably the only thing that we'll be talking about on Trek FM this week. But here's a look at things other than that, maybe, that we may have talked about at other times this week. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. A. Mugatu. B. Gorn. C. Tribble or D Horda. Isn't Mungatu from like Zoolander? <laughs> uh, here's the thing, right? Okay. That is... Earl Grey. Oh, by the way, six hours in. If you press shift, you'll run throughout the whole game. <laughs> press shift when your characters are moving and they'll actually move at a reasonable Reasonable pace. The orb. If he had like a game card, his power you know, like, would be higher yeah. than any other captain for the, their persuasion power. You'll be like, damn, I was winning, and then he went and played a Cisco card on me. The ready room. Here's one more thing I want to throw out here for you guys. Recasting this episode, because I know you guys like to do this on To the Journey with things, with mm-hmm. series and such. I think that Ma'ab should be played by Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah. To the Journey! There is that moment where badass Janeway plunges down with a phaser rifle in hand and takes command yes. of the situation. And so there is that redeeming moment. That is an awesome moment, but it always pissed me off because I'm like, why would you send the captain down first? <laughs> right? Commentary, Trek stars. Lost World's a terrible movie. I haven't seen Jurassic World, though. The 602 Club. We wake up in the middle of the night, and I pop back in episode five, and I watch it again. Like, there's something about this movie that from even then, you know, I'd seen them all. It's all clean slate. This one was already my favorite. Literary Treks. It definitely starts in a very dark place, and it doesn't get much brighter at all, Uh, you know, until we... Until we get to the end, and, and you know, there's some hope there, but yeah, definitely, it's it's a dark book. Women at warp. And then Tom's basically like, well, after we like infiltrate the fortress, we'll free Chaotica's harem, and no, like we. It's gonna turn out they're already being uh, freed by Furiosa, and it's gonna turn into uh... a whole nother holodeck program. Meta Trex. I want. Lieutenant Commander Einstein sitting at my conference table <laughs> it, in it, my w- briefing. Would that be a, would that I be want a blue him, shirt? 
he would totally be a blue okay. shirt. Just making sure. And you know, even though the bushy mustache is technically not Starfleet regulation, I'd let him keep it. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. you find them on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or you can just stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. If you want to contact us, share your thoughts on today's show, about the, the comics, or about the Excelsior series, uh, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose Send a Show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab in the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And do that, you know. It'd be really cool if for like episode one ten we had like a, a kind of a, a run of of uh, thoughts from our listeners. Yep, I, I'm, I'm envisioning like a bunch of what of you leave behind. Like, of I'm envisioning people like you know, ah, this show, these guys are driving me up the wall, and then we get another <laughs> voicemail. This is from the same guy, and another thing. <laughs> Uh, maybe not okay <laughs> or maybe do yeah i'm all for it we that. won't we there's no such thing as constructive criticism when we play it in 110 be like yeah we'll take that into consideration <laughs> in the next three minutes yep we promise never to do that thing again <laughs> but you'll still be able to talk to us and our other listeners at our facebook group the babel conference which is a lot of fun a lot of people talking about uh star trek excelsior today Oh, yeah. So many people. My entire social media, you know that I follow the right people when both my Twitter and Facebook exploded at the same time, <laughs> like at the same second. And then my phone, you're texting me, just everything. It's just like, oh, okay, something happened. It was crazy because I, I woke up at 10 a.m. today. Like I set my alarm, alarm went off at 10 a.m. I looked at my phone, I looked at the Babel conference, and I saw the story on there from the Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. And people that were terrible, like, awfully written story. I, I guarantee you that they were like, oh my God, they're, they're going to announce this in five minutes. Print you know, they probably found out like literally like five minutes well, before the, the first announcement. first paragraph is accurate. The second <laughs> paragraph is all about they don't know what network they're going to put it on or when it's going to air, probably around the 50th anniversary in fall of next year. But the first yeah. paragraph is just like, it's going to be in January and it's going to be on all access. So it's yeah, obviously it's... a draft that they had sitting around. Right. And, you know, it, it was it was one of those things where, like, the, the story went up and people were like, yeah, nah, I'm not believing it. I won't I won't believe it until, you know, un- until I see it. And I'm like, I was like texting. I was like writing in the thing like, no, no, no. Hollywood Reporter. That's a legitimate news source. This is this is for real. And before I could get the text out, someone put up the link to the Star Trek dot com story. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, oh, there it is. <laughs> there real. it is. And yeah, it's fun. It's been a fun day. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. If you want to join our social media groups, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter to use name trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you freaking out about <laughs> Excelsior and your crazy theories about Star Trek that turned out to be right? <laughs> We'll see about that. Um, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing commentary, Trek stars, uh, looking at the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Um, on this episode that uh, just came out on Friday, which we haven't recorded yet, in addition to talking about Simon Pegg and his work um, as Scotty, we're also going to be discussing 
Alex Kurtzman and, uh, you know, taking a look at some of the other television shows that he's worked on. And we're going to give our uh, opinions on who we think should be be the writer, like given given, you know, all all uh, limitations aside and also like who we think they might actually have a shot at getting and who would be you know good for the job, that sort of thing. Um, so which sure are three completely different categories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, well, the default answer, which gets boring, but is true, is Paul Thomas Anderson would obviously be the best choice to write a new Star Trek show. Seriously, if they if they come time. out and they're like Paul Thomas Anderson's writing the script I'll for, eat my for Star hat. Trek, I'll eat all of my hats. I'm going to be. I would be just like I'll the, eat all the your dude. Hats. <laughs> that would be a lot of hats. I I would be I I would be like the dude at the end of Conspiracy, and my head would explode, <laughs> and a bunch of bugs would come, you know, crawling out. I mean, I know that that's never going to happen, but can you imagine if someone said like Paul Thomas Anderson is writing the new Star Trek show? Does he even write for TV? Mike, no. you're just putting your hopes in places that it's just like... I'm not... No, I'm not putting any hopes there. I'm just saying. <laughs> He's like, the right It's ridiculous choice. for me to say, like, anyone else is the right choice when I know that if someone were to say Paul Thomas Anderson's writing the new Star Trek show, that's the person, you know. No. Uh, I mean, Ronald D. Moore, realistically speaking, would be the... It's not even realistic in terms of like who I think has a shot at it, who I think would be really good. I mean, Brian Fuller has basically been mm-hmm. saying, give me the job. But now he's got like 15 shows which are coming on next year. So who knows? It'd be interesting to see. I'm sure Philip, he'd make time for it. Philip Iscove, I'm just saying. He knew his deal with CBS, you know. What, what, did a show with Alex Kurtzman and John Cho. I'm just saying, just saying. Where else can people find you, Mike? Oh, yeah. So you can find <laughs> me there. You can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do Commentary Trackstar Babies, where, uh, hey, Drew, you want to come on and uh, do a commentary for the Magics of Megas 2? I'd love to. All right, let's do that. And uh, then you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, on the Babel Conference, and not expressing my crazy theories about writers of Star Trek on not other podcasts. <laughs> well, before we go, we'd like to ask uh, everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive and Federation, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, did you find like a comic book audiobook? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go back to, to, to one of my, my favorites for sure. Um, Please be what I'm thinking of. Because, I mean, we talked about it, and we talked about how this thing, you know, really influenced, you know, ongoing before it came out and after it came out, and that's Star Trek Into Darkness, which was written by uh, Alan Dean Foster and narrated by Alice Eve, and uh, if you're not familiar with that movie, I'll read the description again. Uh, The official movie tie-in novelization of the highly anticipated sequel to 2009's blockbuster feature film Star Trek. Pioneering director J.J. Abrams has delivered an explosive action thriller that takes Star Trek 
into darkness. When the crew of the Enterprise is called back home, they find an unstoppable force of terror from within their organization has detonated the fleet and everything it stands for, leaving our world in a state of crisis. With a personal score to settle, Captain Kirk leads a manhunt to a war zone world to capture a one-man weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> As our heroes are propelled into an epic chess game of life, life and death, love will be challenged, <laughs> friendships will be torn apart, and sacrifices must be made for the only family Kirk has left, his crew. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. Oh. Oh. Oh, I hope you all have that book already. I don't, because I want to read that description again and again and again. Oh. Ah, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, which the only choice is Into Darkness, uh, with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those detonations you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. We'd uh, like to thank Richard Rutledge Jr. and Renee Roberts for continuing to be our associate producers. By supporting us on Patreon, you can find Richard on Twitter at RUT8972 and Renee at MRES underscore 1701. If you want to join them in keeping us in orbit, you can support us on Patreon too. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer for our shows. You'll find out where the donations can go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit. Ahead, walk factor one. Hi, sir.